It's good to see everybody back this evening. Always a blessing to come together and, and worship God and encourage and lift one another up. Uh, I've been uplifted by the, the song service. I hope that you have been. We, uh, we've been going through the book of Acts, and uh, I don't know about, about you, but it's been really inspiring to me. Um, lots of significant events that, that we've studied so far. You know, we have the, the beginning of the church. We have, uh, you know, we have it starting, starting by opening up to the Jews and then uh, the church opening up to the Gentiles. And we see a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of teaching by these early, uh, by the apostles and by these early Christians. Uh, we see that they had a lot of, a lot of passion for Christ and for the gospel, even with all the, the persecution that they were going through. And uh, that's inspiring. That's inspiring uh, to me today, uh, encouraging to, uh, I guess as an example of, of what I should be doing and, and maybe what you should be doing in, in teaching Christ to people that we come in contact with. In, in Acts 17, we're, we're going to be following Paul, or continue following Paul, and, uh, and Paul's passion is, is unmatched. The, the passion that he has, I think it should inspire our own passion to, to teach Christ as we, as we study about Paul's journey and about, about his teaching. You know, Paul, he taught Jesus everywhere that he went, and he taught with purpose and hope of bringing those that he was teaching to Christ. Uh, and he did it with a, with a very strong drive. You know, I was, I was uh, talking to my dad earlier, not today, it was sometime in the past two weeks, uh, about how stubborn my kids seem to be. And uh, no idea where they got that from. Uh, but they seem to be really stubborn, and, you know, sometimes it can be really challenging to get them to do what they need to do. And what Dad said was that, you know, that stubbornness can, can be a problem, but if you can get it pointed in the right direction, you know, that could be a good thing. And studying about Paul has kind of given me some, some hope of that. You know, Paul was on a completely different direction, persecuting the church. And I'm, I, don't, I'm, don't guess I'm saying, <clears throat> I don't guess I'm saying that Paul was stubborn, but he had a drive and a passion for whatever it was that, that he believed in and what he was going for. And he was on the wrong path persecuting the church until he changed, until he got pointed in the, the right direction, and then he became a, a, a strong force for the early church. And I think that's something that, that we can learn from, so... We'll go ahead and get started here in Acts chapter 17. Uh, there at the end of chapter 16, Paul and Silas were leaving Philippi where they had been in prison. And they had, they had just got out. And that's where we'll pick up in chapter 17. And we'll start up, uh, start there in verse 1. Through this chapter, we'll, we'll cover Paul's journey as he goes to Thessalonica. Then he goes to Berea, and then we'll finish up when he goes to Athens. So we'll read verses uh, 1 through 4 of Acts 17. <clears throat> now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. 
And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must, must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of, and of the chief women not a few. So here we have uh, Paul and Silas. They've <clears throat> they left Philippi and uh, have, I guess, what I read would have been about a three-day walk through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia as they come to, to Thessalonica. <clears throat> and you might think that, you know, as they, they leave these cities where things tend to get heated and they're in prison or persecuted, you might think that <clears throat> once they got out of that situation, they would lay low a little bit. But that's not at all the case. You know, Paul proactively went into the synagogue and spent three weeks reasoning, explaining, demonstrating that the, the Jesus that they knew and had heard of was in fact the Christ, the Savior that they had been waiting for. I think it's uh, important to note that he, he spent time with these people and he was, he was diligent in teaching them. And we can learn a, a lot from the way that, that, Paul, to, that Paul taught. <clears throat> I think what really what really jumped out to to me uh, jumped out at me in these verses is when we read Paul as his custom or as his manner was uh, went into them. You know this was something that was normal for Paul. It was a, a habit for him, you might say. His passion for Christ drove him to be to be proactive in his teaching, and you know reading this kind of made me wonder what. You know, made me kind of wonder what someone might write that my manner was, if it might be something as positive as this. And after thinking a little bit about Sawyer's lesson this morning and and how we, uh, you know, have such a, a duty to our children as as fathers, I thought I was afraid that someone might wrote, write something like Luke, as his manner was, got home tired and played with his kids, but didn't diligently and purposefully teach them about Christ. <clears throat> or maybe someone might write Luke as his, manner, as his manner was, went through the weeks waiting for someone else to bring up Christ so that maybe he could teach them something about him. You know, those aren't positive. Those would not be positive writings. What might someone write that your manner is? I think it's very important that we need to be proactive in our approach to teaching Christ like Paul was looking for opportunities and making opportunities to preach Christ and, and what he can do for people. This includes teaching our kids, teaching our, our families, friends, coworkers, acquaintances, strangers, everybody. We need a, a passion for Christ that pours out of us regularly as Paul did. <clears throat> so as Paul teaches here in Thessalonica, we read that, that some of the Jews were persuaded Many of the, the devout Greeks were persuaded and, and leading women. They joined Paul and Silas. But as we've seen before, the Jews who are not persuaded or who, who do not believe aren't willing to let this change happen without a fight. So we'll pick up back there in verse 5 and, and read through verse 9. <clears throat> but the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. 
And when they found them not, they drew, Jason, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do con contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. So here we, we see that as has happened before, the, some Jews become, the Jews that did not believe, they become jealous and they, they stir up opposition to Paul. They recruit uh, lewd fellows from the marketplace, I guess some real tough guys to help form a mob and basically just do anything that they can to, to destroy the message that Paul and Silas are teaching. Uh, we see the, the, the mob goes hunting for Paul and Silas. They can't find them, so they bring out the other believers. Uh, they bring out Jason, uh, who evidently was, was housing Paul and Silas, and, and they bring them before the authorities. Uh, these charges that, that they brought against them were, were similar to those that were brought in, in Philippi, but they were uh, taken, up, taken up a notch, I guess you might say. They're, they're charged not only with just disturbing the city, but they're charged with turning the whole world upside down. And not simply with, they're not charged simply with advocating un-Roman customs, but rather something that would basically amount to treason uh, in, having, in having another king, Jesus. You know, this was a, a serious accus accusation that was, that was made to them. You know, the, I guess the charge was serious enough that it troubled the crowd, it troubled the, the rulers of the city when they heard those things because uh, it raised a fear that their city might become known for, for opposition against Caesar or against Rome. And, and so that actually created some, some, real physical, some real physical danger for them. Uh, and so, of course, the people are, are disturbed by these things and... Uh, since they don't actually have Paul and Silas, they take a uh, bail or, or a security deposit of sorts from Jason uh, and, and let them go. Now, I think it's, it's sad that the Jews resort, the, the unbelieving Jews resort to this because they have nothing to gain from it. <clears throat> they only wanted to destroy Paul and Silas and the message that they were teaching. <clears throat> I think we tend to, to see that in the mob mentality that we sometimes see in society today. You know, Jesus, he didn't come only to be our teacher. He did come to turn the world upside down. And in this accusation uh, that they brought before the rulers of the city, they were actually giving a compliment. You know, and the powerful and the, the eminent of this world are, are at the top of the, the power pyramid and look down on, on the weak and the insignificant. But Jesus comes and he turns that pyramid around. And he says, if you, want, if you want to come to me, you have to come like a little child. And as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, God has chosen the foolish and weak things of the world to confound the wise. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you'd like to turn there, we can read verses 25 through 29. First Corinthians 1, verse 25 to 29. 
Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. <clears throat> you know, we see and we read that the God in his wisdom far superior to ours turns the world's power pyramid or the world's thinking or the world's structure upside down. It goes against God's wisdom uh, the world's the world what the world would call wisdom goes against true wisdom which is God's. <clears throat> Let's turn back to Acts 17 and we'll read verses 10 through 15. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble in the, than those in Thessalonica in that in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and, re and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for, for to come to him, with all speed they departed. <clears throat> Here we read how uh, Paul comes to Berea, which is, I guess, about 50 miles to the southwest of Thessalonica, and, uh, and entered the synagogue as, as his custom was. Here he, he found a a ready audience, one that was willing to listen, one that was open to the gospel. And I guess the question would be, why were the Bereans more open to the gospel than the, than the, Thessalon than the Thessalonians? We read that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Luke records that the Bereans were noble, and the word noble there literally refers to those who were of the, a high social order. However, uh, here it's used figuratively. They had a noble character, an open and a ready mindset for, the, for God's word. They were similar to the good ground in Jesus' parable of the soils that we can read of in Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 4 through 15. We'll, read, uh, we'll just read Luke chapter 8, verse 15. <clears throat> Luke chapter 8 and verse 15. But on, but on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. I think this, this describes the, the hearts of the, the Bereans. Their hearts were honest. They were good. <clears throat> And because of this, they received the word with readiness of mind. 
they received the gospel, or in, when we say that they received the gospel, that men, means that they listened to it. That they received it with readiness of mind meant that they were willing and even eager to accept it. They were open enough to the gospel that they would at the very least withhold judgment on it until they could give it careful and thorough examination. Unlike the Thessalonians who were quick to dismiss it. So how did they go, go about examining it? And we can see that they, they searched the scriptures to see if Paul's teachings were correct. In John chapter 5, in verse 39, <clears throat> John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are... And they are they which testify of me. You know, I think it's, it's interesting to note that, that Paul had been preaching uh, the gospel from, from the Old Testament scriptures that they had at the time. Um, you know, the Bereans studied the scriptures every day to, ver to verify that what he was teaching was the truth. And the result of this searching of the scriptures that we read there in verse 12 is that many of them believed, many of the Jews believed, as, as opposed to few of them believing as we see in uh, verse 4 in Thessalonica. So what would we uh, make application of from this today? You know, I think we should be like the Bereans in, in at least two ways. One is that we each have a, a noble mind, one that is willing to, to heed the gospel and to, to change our lives, to conform with its teaching. And then two, we should also search the scriptures daily as we read so often from the pulpit, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, right, rightly dividing the word of truth. In doing this, we can't be fooled by, by those who might come preaching a, a perverted gospel, as we read of in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. <clears throat> Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. <clears throat> you know it's important that we search search the scriptures daily uh, it's really easy to take things that we hear and and believe them it's important that we search to make sure that those things are true you know here the Bereans had heard of Paul. You know, Paul was probably, I'm assuming he probably had a pretty good reputation um, as he traveled uh, amongst 
a good reputation amongst the Christians. Maybe not the, uh, some of the people that wish to harm him, but, you know, I think it would have been real easy to, to kind of, to take what he, what, what he said and, and want to believe it, uh, but the Bereans searched to make sure that those things were true. They had an earnest longing for the truth. <clears throat> I think some good admonition for us would be 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. In other words, anytime someone claims to preach the gospel... Do not listen to the words unless they can be supported by God's word. So the, the jealous Jews from, you know, as we continued reading there, the, the Jews come up from, from Thessalonica. They hear that Paul's preaching there in Berea, and they, they come down to, to stir up the crowd again. And so, um, and so they're the, the brethren. They send Paul and Paul away, but this time they leave uh, Silas and Timothy. And we see that Paul goes to Athens and he sends for, uh, he goes to Athens ahead of uh, Silas and Timothy and, and then he sends for them to join him. And so we'll pick up there in, uh, back in Acts chapter 17, we'll pick up in verse 16 and read through verse 21. <clears throat> now, while Paul, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth, other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new, new doctrine wherefore thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and, and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So here we've got, we have Paul waiting on, on Timothy and, and Silas. And uh, it, it seems as though it reads as though he was hoping to wait until they got there before he really got started in, in his teaching. But when he sees that the, that the city is given over to, to idols, he's compelled uh, to preach the gospel immediately. You know, once again, that's, he has that passion or that drive to preach Christ that, that we keep speaking of. <clears throat> he simply can't hold it in. You know, Athens was a, uh, a famous city, is a, a very historical city. Uh, no doubt there were, there were many beautiful buildings, beautiful statues, uh, and Paul uh, surely saw these things, you know, basically saw the, the best that Greek sculptors and, and architects could offer. And, and all that beauty in, in things made with man's, with man's hands did not honor God. And, and so Paul wasn't impressed, and he was focused on the, the more important 
factors at hand, and that is Christ. <clears throat> you know, here we read of, uh, you know, Paul, he goes into the, into the synagogue as, as his custom was, or as his manner was, and uh, is teaching, but then he runs into a more challenging audience here in Athens. Uh, you know, as you might imagine, it was a, a cultured, educated city that was that was really proud of its history you know a lot of famous philosophers that you might uh, read about uh, had might have come from or come through Athens uh, it was an intellectual center much like you might think of Oxford or, or Cambridge in England um, and and more than likely this this city was uh, different than the other cities that that Paul had been preaching in. I saw a couple of or I found a couple of quotes about the, I guess kind of how the city was at this time when when Paul would have been there, uh, and and one man wrote, although Athens had had long since lost the political eminence which was hers in an earlier day, she continued to represent the highest level of culture attained in classical antiquity. And another man said. Uh, by now, the greatest days of Athens were behind it, but it could still be fairly described as the intellectual capital of the Greco-Roman world, and at the same time, the religious capital of Greece. So it's a you know a city with high-minded intellectual uh, folks, and and we'll see that uh, as as we get further in the chapter how how Paul addresses. Uh, these people who, who are different than other people that he had, different than the Jews or, or the Gentiles that would have been gathering in the synagogue. <clears throat> we read there in, uh, that he ran into, or he ran into, or some philosophers uh, came to, to d- discuss what he was teaching. Uh, it mentions Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. The Epicureans, they pursued pleasure as the chief purpose in life. They valued uh, most of all the pleasure of a a peaceful life, free from pain, uh, free from disturbing passions or superstitious fears, including the fear of death. Uh, They did not deny the existence of gods, but they believed that that the gods that they believed in had nothing to do with man. And so some, some very different thinking from, from who Paul is used to. The Stoic philosophers were pantheists uh, who put uh, a, a great emphasis on, on moral sincerity and a high sense of duty. They cultivated a, a spirit of proud dignity and believed that suicide was better than a life lived with less dignity. And with that pantheist... Uh, a better description of that is that they believed that that everything was God and that God was in everything, so that they be- they believed that all things, good or evil, were from God and and essentially nothing should be resisted. <clears throat> they believed that there was no particular direction or destiny for mankind. Both very sad philosophies with little hope, I would say. Um. You know, these, these philosophers come and, and they hear of what Paul is teaching. They, 
uh, kind of make fun of, fun of him. You know, they say, listen to, to what this babbler is saying. Or, or they ask, what is this babbler saying? Uh, and, you know, others thought that, that he, was, he was proclaiming uh, foreign gods. But the, the basis of Paul's message did not change in Athens. And they all understood that what he was preaching was Jesus and the resurrection. <clears throat> we read there that uh, in verse 21, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. They just wanted to think about things and hear something new that they could ponder. <clears throat> and because of that, those that hadn't heard uh, of Jesus and the resurrection, it sparked an in Paul's message sparked an interest with them. And he, uh, knowing his audience, or he's invited to this uh, Areopagus, uh, or also known as, as Mars Hill, which is a uh, essentially a center where they could uh, people would gather um, it would be much like uh, not like a synagogue where it was religious but more like a, a government funded building where they could talk about philosophy and different things And so, it's a very different audience that, that Paul's preaching to. And we'll go ahead and read <clears throat> verses 22 through the end of the chapter, through verses 34. And this is uh, Paul standing in, in, in the Areopagus, addressing uh, all these people. And basically, he's, he's I guess I kind of, it, it may not be, correct, but I kind of imagine it as his opportunity if in modern times is if you were able to get up in front of uh, the Senate or the House of Representatives or someone, uh, you know, or some big university, somewhere where there was a large, large audience that wasn't necessarily uh, religious, wasn't, um, was not Christian. It was a f room full of unbelievers. So we'll go ahead and start there in verse 22 and read through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him I declare unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their, of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if haply they may feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we, all, for we are also 
his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So Paul gives this sermon uh, in, the, in the midst of, of Mars Hills, <clears throat> and he starts with essentially um, what they might believe as a, as a compliment. He, he says that he noticed or he recognizes uh, that they're very religious. Uh, one thing that, that's, that's noticeable here is that uh, in knowing his audience, Paul doesn't begin with a, an exposition of Scripture because his audience doesn't have that, that foundation to go off of. He has to basically build or start from scratch explaining to them who God is. <clears throat> you know, his custom typically in the synagogue uh, was to start with Scripture when dealing with Jews or Gentiles who, who would have been familiar with the, the Old Testament. But here, uh, Paul begins with, with general references to religion. I think as we go through, through uh, this, this sermon that he gives, um, I think it, we can look at his strategy and, and look at some of the things on how he approaches talking to someone who doesn't necessarily have a foundation in Scripture or doesn't believe in Scripture and how you can hopefully teach them who God is so that they can, you know, get them to a point where they would start believing Scripture. <clears throat> Uh, so he says, in all things, you're, you're very religious. Uh, you know, like we said, the, the religious character of, of Athens, it was noticed, noticed by, by ancient observers and, and people in the world and history noticed that. Uh, and when I say religious, that doesn't that's uh, not necessarily in reference to the one true God or to Christianity. There were many different philosophies and, and religions in Athens. So when Paul says this, he's not necessarily meaning it in a positive way, as they might have taken it when he said it. <clears throat> you know, that he mentions that he even found the, the inscription to the unknown God. You know, he understood that uh, they were so ignorant of who God was that they were afraid that they might have missed something in, in worshiping all, all of the gods that they had in place. And so he, he starts out with something that they know. He gives them a compliment to try to gain, uh, gain some, uh, I guess, gain some ground with them. <clears throat> and then he starts um, explaining to them, taking something that they know and that they can relate to and bringing to them who God truly is. You know, he proclaims to them that, that God, who created everything, uh, 
he proclaims to them that God is who created everything, that he's distinct from his creation. He proclaimed that, that God was bigger than any temple that, that man could build. And he, couldn't be, he could not be represented by anything that men could make with their hands. So in bringing uh, an understanding of, of God to these people, he started at the very beginning, Paul did, uh, letting them know that, that God is the creator and we're his creatures. You know, this view of the, of the world was very different specifically from the, the Epicurean and Stoic uh, philosophies that they had. The Epicurean had an emphasis on a chance combination of atoms, and then the, the Stoics believed that God was the universe. And, uh, and so that God created the universe and was separate from it was very different than what they uh, believed and had, uh, had heard. So I think Paul, he recognized that these philosophers, they had to change their ideas about God and they had to move from, from what they believed to an under, uh, in their own opinions to an understanding of who God truly is uh, according to what he tells us about, about himself in Scripture. <clears throat> you know, he, he says that uh, God has made from one blood every nation of man. You know, Paul proclaimed to them that, that there's one God who created all of us and, and that we are all obligated to God. And since God, since God created us, we, should, uh, we are obligated to him and we should seek him. He mentions that he is not far from us as, as the uh, Stoics or the Epicureans would have believed, but that he's actually close and that we can have a relationship with him. <clears throat> Paul uh, references a couple of poets in the sermon that uh, the were, I guess, were famous in Athens, and I think he 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 references them and when he uh, when he says, "For in him we live and move and have our being," and then also, "For we are also his offspring." And he only references their, these poets that were famous to them, I believe, to uh, bring something that, to, I guess, help them relate to, to who God is. And he only uses quotes from the poets that are true, that are uh, line up with the truth of God's word. <clears throat> he didn't quote these men because uh, they were prophets or because their teaching uh, was of God or because all their teaching was of God, he quoted them because uh, these specific words reflected biblical truth, and, and by using them, uh, could build a bridge to his pagan audience. <clears throat> you know, Paul, he talked about how uh, we have a responsibility to God because we are his offspring. And since we are, we're, we're responsible uh, to God and, and must... Uh, and we're responsible to the, the truth that God gives us, and therefore we must reject the idea that, that gold or silver or stone, uh, anything material, uh, could represent God. <clears throat> Towards the end of, uh, end of his sermon, as he talks about God being the creator, and we being the creation, and our responsibility to God in that, he talks about what uh, 
what we are to do because of that. He progresses from, from knowing who God is, our creator, to who we are, his offspring, and our responsibility to understand him and worship him in truth. And he also mentions our accountability if we were to dishonor him. <clears throat> and in building all this this sermon, <clears throat> he builds all this sermon to get to, to the main point. In verse 31, he says, Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. So he, meant, he finally mentions uh, Jesus and, being re- and Jesus being resurrected in an, in an attempt to, to gain their belief. And, and we can see that they had a hard time believing that, it seems. They had a hard time believing in, in the resurrection. Uh, and, and we see that, that some of them, they mocked Paul when he got to this. And uh, some of the others said that they, they'd hear him again on the matter. But we do see that some of them believed. And, and we see that... Uh, that some of them uh, not, <clears throat> pardon me, some of them not being just Jews or Gentiles, but Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris. And I think it's important uh, to realize that they took the message that, that Paul was giving them, and, and he was able to to um, to bridge the, the gap in their minds and help them believe uh, in God and and in the in in them needing salvation. You know, I think some some key points that can be taken from from the sermon um, is that. <clears throat> or some things that we can use if, if we're in discussions with people who don't believe in God or who um, have no belief in the scriptures or maybe they will not look to scriptures as truth. You know, we use scripture as such a basis when we're uh, talking to people about God and about Jesus and about salvation. It becomes difficult when we can't point to scripture uh, to prove why we need these things. And I think in this sermon we can take some knowledge on maybe how to, to build that bridge so that we can start looking at Scripture with people. And, and it's all tied together. You know, talking ab- about uh, Jesus, you can't talk about... Um, when I say it's all tied together, I mean from creation, from God creating us to us having a responsibility to God and... Um, that culminating in, in Jesus and our, and our need for uh, reconciliation and, and forgiveness.
this is, uh, these are all the comments that I have for this evening. I hope that you've been able to gain something from the sermon uh, that will be beneficial to you. And, um, you know, I think it's a little bit, not humorous, but these people that thought that they were so eloquent and, and high thinkers, the, the speech or the sermon that, that Paul gives is, is one of the most eloquent, eloquent sermons that, that I can think of or, or could, have, could have read. And I know that I know that if we could have the, the confidence in the scriptures that, that Paul had, that we could be really effective in, in teaching God's word uh, as he was here. If you're here tonight and you'd like the, the prayers of the church, if you have a need of any kind, or if you've been taught the gospel and you need to be forgiven and you'd like to be baptized tonight, we'd like to ask you to come to the front as we stand and sing.